ID the Future, a podcast about evolution and intelligent design. Hello and welcome. I'm Tom Gilson. Today on ID the Future, it's two Discovery Institute senior fellows talking science, atheism, and morality, as Michael Medved brings in David Berlinski as his guest on The Michael Medved Show. And now, America's number one show on pop culture and politics, this is The Michael Medved Show. And another great day in this greatest nation on God's green earth. It is a great pleasure to uh, speak to somebody who, I, I think through no plan of his own, has become one of the more serious religious thinkers and about the limits of science and the limits of secularism. Uh, David Berlinski is the uh, author of the uh, new book, A Human Nature, and he's spent his entire career writing about mathematics and the sciences. But here in this new book, he turns the scientific uh, community's cherished skepticism back on itself, daring to ask and answer some uh, embarrassing questions. David, always a joy to speak with you. The pleasure is entirely mine. Thank you. Now, you're going back to Paris, I know, where you've lived for some time. And, I'm going uh, back tomorrow. Oh, well, uh, you should have safe journeys. Thank you very much. The, the question would be that in human nature, you particularly take issue with uh, Steven Pinker, a very celebrated psychologist at Harvard, who's been a guest on, on my show several times. And he did a book, The Better Angels of Our Nature, which I know Bill Gates called one of the greatest books ever written. And that book made, a, made the case that because of science and secularism and the breakdown of old religious and nationalist hatreds, uh, the world was getting better and better and better, and violence was becoming less and less a factor. Uh, What's wrong with that argument? Well, the, the chief thing that's wrong with the argument is that the premises are untrue. <clears throat> I mean, I've done a, a lot of research uh, with respect to one particular claim, the ostensible 800-year decline in homicide rates. Now, Pinker is not treating China, he's not treating Asia, India. It's principally a thesis about Europe and the United States. Uh, but it's a very powerful piece. If true, it's a remarkable fact, unobserved as far as I can tell in the scholarly literature, that since roughly 1,300 homicide rates have been systematically and steadily decreasing. I went back to the medieval court records, and I looked at them very carefully, the original documents, not what historians said about them, and I discovered that the claim is simply untrue. It has no real tangible connection to reality. That's one of the things that's wrong. The other thing that's wrong with the book is that its estimation and assessment of the 20th century is woeful. Pinker treats the outstanding events of the 20th century, the two great, enormous, costly world wars, 1914, 1918, 1939, 1945, but before that, uh, predecessors to the Second World War throughout 
throughout Asia with the Japanese invasion of Manchuria, for example. He treats them as statistical outliers, things that might be expected every now and then, and that's perfectly true if you treat the outbreak of war as a statistical phenomenon. Sooner or later, you're going to have catastrophic explosions. To my way of thinking, that's a very good reason not to treat the outbreak of war as a statistical phenomenon. And in addition, um, he has nothing to say about what I would say are the deepest currents of 20th century thought, the abysmal discovery of totalitarian politics and government, both in Nazi Germany, especially in the camps, and in Stalin's Russia, but not only there, in Mao's China, in Cambodia, and as a sinister current spreading through the world. That possibility that it is entirely feasible to organize a social system on the basis of terror, that's a new discovery in the 20th century, and to my mind, Pinker simply ignores it and ignores the implications of this discovery. That disqualifies his book, in my, in my view, uh, from making any kind of case about the better angels of our nature, speaking historically, speaking politically, and speaking socially. That so, that, well, that, <laughs> that's certainly a good beginning. But uh, right now, part of what you're saying is you don't give up the idea of hope or progress. And I know that from having read your books. But uh, the uh, d- has it been a sobering wake-up call, do you think, this uh, invasion of Ukraine for... I, I think you have to be deaf, dumb, and blind not to feel that the Russian invasion of Ukraine as a sobering moment in world history. It was unexpected. It cannot be uh, squared with any uh, puerile thesis of Whig history, um, European idea that they have pioneered a new form of social existence which simply renounces violence. That's been the European project since uh, at least 30 years. The idea that the entire world is more or less bound necessarily to follow in lockstep the European model in which social democracy prevails, violence is pronounced, and multiculturalism is promoted. You just have to open your eyes. Russia has attacked the sovereign states in the most blood-drenched place in Central Europe. Surely that should have a salutary awakening effect on anyone who's looking at the news. There's a powerful column today by Daniel Henninger about how the world had forgotten about the existence of evil, and Vladimir Putin, one-man show, has very helpfully reminded us. Uh, and, of course, there are examples of evil uh, all around us. Uh, do, you, do you remember, I know you do, the Kellogg-Briand uh, Pact of 1920? Sure. There were a number of treaties in the, in the 20s to those ends. Yeah, but the, the Kellogg-Briand Pact was great because it outlawed war. <laughs> sure, I'm all in favor of that, too. Yeah, and it just shows you that uh, sometimes diplomacy can triumph over logic. Uh, your book, The Devil's Delusion, is subtitled Atheism and Scientific Pretensions. Uh, isn't that the very essence of your problem with the Pinker book, is that it, it assumes that secularism, atheism, a... A godless view of the world is beneficial and salutary, 
but uh, that's not what you're reading and your knowledge indicates. Well, I don't know quite whether it's my problem with the book. It's certainly Pinker's intellectual commitment, exactly as you put it. He believes enlightenment values, a vigorous form of secularism, uh, the rejection of all theological interpretations of human life, and uh, an increasing path to material satisfaction will result in a world that is rosier, more cheerful, more productive, far less poverty, and that we should all be encouraged by these developments. I would be encouraged by those developments uh, for them taking place. Now, I should say, Tinker is certainly right in pointing to certain dramatic improvements in human life. Life Poverty rate has, has decreased markedly. Far fewer people are living in abject misery than were living in abject misery a half a century ago. Medical facilities, medical treatments, clean water, sufficient food to eat, these are all remarkable human achievements. I, I don't for a minute want to suggest they have not taken place. But that is quite beside the real issue. The real issue, as I think Pinker understands, is violence, homicide, war, atrocity. We will get back to more with David Berlinski. His most recent book, Human Nature, uh, he uh, is visiting the United States, his home country, his home, from his other home in Paris. We will be right back with the one, the only, David Berlinski. And on the Michael Medved Show, back uh, for a few minutes more with uh, David Berlinski, a mathematician, uh, uh, artistic uh, commentator, and analyst, uh, a philosopher and uh, raconteur, and all-around fascinating guy. He's also a senior fellow of the Discovery Institute. And uh, his most recent books, The Devil's Delusion and Human Nature. And when it comes to human nature, do you, do you believe uh, or have sympathy at all with the, uh, the idea that is put forward often by many secular-minded people that the religious impulse that seems to be uh, almost a timeless universal aspect of human nature is actually primitive and illogical and uh, contradicts any exercise of rational logic thought. Uh, your view on the idea that the entire uh, God hypothesis that our mutual friend Steve Meyer writes about that the uh, God hypothesis is uh, just primitive foolishness. Does that uh, idea have some resonance, deserving of respect? Not from me. <laughs> you surely knew that I was going to offer that answer. Yeah, that was called a setup. It's a soft. <laughs> in, in many respects, I wish I could say sure. It's a it's, uh, manifestation of the primitive, say, the rep brain it has no bearing on reality sophisticated people are perfectly capable of dispensing with that hypothesis and I think I speak for many people <coughs> excuse me were it true it would make life much easier we could just say we'll study the sciences and that's enough 
that satisfies all of our emotional and intellectual needs. It just doesn't seem to be true. It's not true in any rational sense. There is no one, even the most devoted and committed secularists, who, when the dark night of the soul steals over their imagination, is content to say, well, they're the sciences and that's it. That just doesn't reflect my understanding of reality. I don't think it really, truly, deeply reflects anyone's understanding of reality. One of the uh, questions that uh, goes along with that is, uh, okay, our understanding of reality, how did reality begin, where did we come from? The scientific community seems to be nearly unanimous now in suggesting that... um, that reality began, the universe began, with uh, what people call the Big Bang. And it began suddenly and out of nowhere. And uh, then here we are a few years later, a few billion years later, and uh, you have uh, Mozart and Vladimir Putin on two different sides of the issue. And uh, and it, it all just... Uh, developed is the Big Bang theory uh, somehow work well with the idea of scientific atheism? No, I don't think it works particularly well. And I think physicists in the nineteen, well, in the nineteen thirties, forties, fifties, and sixties were well aware that an eternally existing universe. Einstein certainly believed that offered the physical imagination and certainly the secular imagination a sense of comfort that the Big Bang does not provide, because the Big Bang points to an origin of space and time, some 14, 13.5 or 14 billion years in the past, and an origin of space and time inevitably leads to the question which we cannot escape. Huh? How'd that happen? Now, obviously, if you accept the the view that... uh, space and time were created in the Big Bang. It's not very easy to point to a time before time was created. It's possible to speculate along those lines, but you'll immediately enmesh yourself in contradiction. Let that go. The fact is, something happened. We can trace the origin of that something back 13.5 or 14 billion years ago, but to say, well, that's it, that's the answer to every single metaphysical, theological, or psychological question we might pose about the world we find ourselves in, that's just childish. That's not enough. That's no answer. So I think there is an understanding in the physics community that there's a very great mystery embedded in uh, the doctrine of the Big Bang. Superb name, by the way. Fred Hoyle called it the Big Bang. I think it's a stroke of genius in the name. Because it does restore cosmology to its ancestral roots some form of sexual energy, and that shouldn't be denied. There's something primitive about, primitive about the idea of a Big Bang, cosmic explosion. But no, I don't think the standard model of cosmology even begins to answer any of the deepest questions we might pose. Why is that thing there? We don't know. We don't well, let know. me ask you. Let me ask you about another thing, very famous thing that is right in the neighborhood you live in in Paris, which is Notre Dame Cathedral. Uh, you uh, you were there the night the cathedral burned, and uh, what what's your 
attitude, your acceptance, enthusiasm level about the current plans to rebuild the Great Cathedral? Well, right now, the current plans are okay. They, they, they have stabilized the cathedral, which was very much in doubt for a long time. And they're doing exquisite renovations. They're going to restore almost all the physical aspects of the cathedral to the state they were before the fire. You've got to imagine some of the unbelievably stupid plans that were being floated about. One group of architects wanted to put a swimming pool on top. But, but those <laughs> no, no, really? Oh, yeah. No, that, that wasn't... Um, <laughs> Uh, that wasn't a jocular remark. I've seen the plans. You need a big swimming pool on top of Notre Dame. Sure, be great for me. I love the block away. Just trot right over. Have a swim and come, in, come out again. But um, how the interior of the cathedral is going to be arranged, how it's going to be presented, that remains uh, a little more parlous. There, there is a, a movement afoot, and with a lot of support from the French government to make the cathedral a kind of uh, ecumenical, interdisciplinary, multicultural institution, uh, welcoming um, all manner of diversity to the interior, instead of what it is, was, and should be, that is, essentially a Catholic institution. And uh, I've seen some of the plans. I, I find them curious and repugnant at the same time. Curious because there is something sympathetic about trying to expand the reach of the cathedral as a great monument of Western architecture trying to entice more and more people to enter it, not simply as tourists, but to appreciate the role of the cathedral in the development of Western history. There's something attractive about that. And there's something repugnant about denying the essentially liturgical and theological function of the cathedral as a great edifice of Catholic thought. Not Jewish thought, not Muslim, not Islam, not Hindu, not Buddhist. Catholic thought. And I appreciate your Catholic view, Catholic in the sense of universal, uh, and standing up for universal truth. Uh, Dr. David Berlinski, his most recent book, Human Nature. Good travels to you. And We've been listening to David Berlinski, guest with Michael Medved on The Michael Medved Show. We appreciate your listening to ID the Future, and we encourage you to invite a friend to come along, too, by visiting idthefuture.com. That's idthefuture.com. Until next time, I'm Tom Gilson. Thank you for listening. Visit us at idthefuture.com and intelligentdesign.org. This program is Copyright Discovery Institute and recorded by its Center for Science and Culture.